3: Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more.
1: You have got to be kidding me. Therefore, as a faithful servant of the Enkindlers, we too must serve the Reapers. You... Big, stupid jellyfish.
3: You know, I support religious freedom for all species, but
0: that's just crazy.
3: Welcome back, everybody, to the Mass Effect Lorecast, um, and thank you for the reminder in the uh, the Discord channel to use that quote. Um, oh, who was it? I'm trying to look through. Uh, who was it that reminded me to do that? I should have thought, thought of this as this was happening. Uh, it was uh, Nikki Chu on Discord, Thank you for that reminder Nikki that was awesome. Um that's a great quote. Well, if you haven't guessed it yet, we are talking about jellyfish people and this is your host Tom or Robots and I'm back with Sam and 7-Eleven. What's what's going on Sam? How are you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty well. Uh excellent recommendation to Nikki for that that clip because that is going to be perfectly relevant. Uh, numerous times throughout this episode, the religious freedoms, the exact quests even that that comes from has uh, some pretty awesome lore implications. So of course, I'm very happy uh, that that quote is in there. Aside from the meme value, um, but yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I know that, you know, we s- just spoke yesterday because we were both guesting on an episode of a different podcast. Uh, so, you, so yeah. Tom already knows this, but as I've discussed, um, throughout a few different episodes in, in this series, uh, I was looking for a job while well, I finally found one. Spit and it after
3: out. Right. No, that's the wrong button, <laughs> <laughs> that, that doesn't work either. All right. I- there it is. I found it.
0: There we go there we go so i finally i finally got the job after um after uh many interviews it was a daunting process (laughs) but yeah very happy and that means of course that uh maybe within a month maybe a little bit more i will be getting the uh gaming pc yeah
3: you gotta pay for things like uh your rent (laughs) yes and, food. Like
0: and nom noms <laughs> yeah yeah well congratulations sure stays on.
3: Yeah, that's thanks. awesome congratulations um yeah i'll be excited to play some pc games with you and introduce you to that that side of the world and of course we've got my xbox series x now so i can play xbox games with you on there as well and man it's gonna be awesome this is gonna be super fun but um let's let's dive into our topic for the day we're talking about not only The jellyfish people, the Hanar, but also the Drell. This is kind of a double double race episode because they don't have as much info as some of the other races, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you nailed it. Uh, you know, we're talking about the two species because their fates are so intertwined uh, as well. So we had to include them on the same episode. Um, they're both pretty unique to the mass effect universe. And one of them is the source of many in-game jokes. Uh, one of them is known for their severe adherence to etiquette, but if they don't kill you with kindness, they have other methods, uh, like (laughs) their cohabiting race of swamp monster assassins, (laughs)
3: Yeah, it sounds fun. I
0: wish the drill (laughs) sounded like that. That'd
3: be amazing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, they don't. All right. Well, let's kick this off. So so where do we start? So we're going to
0: start, as always, uh, with a couple of idiomatic expressions that I think are perfectly relevant to each of these. And this is the first episode where we've done two. So this structure is going to be a a little bit different from previous episodes on the races. And, uh, so for the Hanar, I think the best phrase to describe them is to stand on ceremony. And for Mm -hmm. those who are unfamiliar to stand on ceremony means basically to be dripping with etiquette, to be so polite and proper. Uh, that you're standing on ceremony. Right. So and these the are drell, like
3: like the uh the British. <laughs>
0: yes. Yes. The Queen's English. The think Queen's, about
3: how yeah, yeah absolutely
0: how proper the royal family is. Right. And the the drell, I think a good idiomatic expression is a trip down memory lane. <laughs> because Aww. the drell of course have perfect recall, uh which we'll get into a little bit later. Um wouldn't but that be nice as for as per usual, uh, let's start with the biology of, of both species. One, the Hanar are one of the few non-bipedal species in the Milky Way. We actually just covered one of the other ones last week, the Alcor. Uh, but the Hanar are aquatic beings with long tentacles. So when they're on the Citadel, when they're on spaceships, and when they're on land, they quote-unquote stand you get the pun with stand on ceremony now mm-hmm. they stand using mass effect fields uh and it kind of looks like they're even levitating when they're when they're quote-unquote standing
3: it does they, they have this like floating through the air kind of quality to them um and i've always wondered about that because i hadn't i don't think i i don't remember playing through anything that explained it but yeah,
0: no, no, they, they don't really explain it uh, that well, but they do rely on the Mass Effect fields uh, through the use of technology. There are a couple of things that the game doesn't explain, like how do the Hanar breathe in the oxygen, nitrogen, air atmosphere uh, that's on the Citadel? How do they breathe in other atmospheres? Um, because they never appear to be wearing a helmet. And where would a helmet even go?
3: Right. Hanar. right. It's like the the question that shows up all the time like if this thing wore pants, would it wear it this way or this way? <laughs>
0: right. If a Hanar wore a helmet, where would they how wear would it? it wear it? Would it be
3: a full yeah, body horizontal. S- helmet? Like would it just cover like the front of its head? Like how does that even work? It would
0: look like an upside-down fish tank. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um but you know, the Hanar, their bodies look like a cross between jellyfish more specifically medusozoas and oh. men of war oh. and i make that distinction of course because men of war might be confused with jellyfish but if you've never seen a portuguese man of war definitely google it uh you want to know what those look like especially if you're traveling a lot because they have a nasty sting and coincidentally so do hanar Uh, the Hanar apparently secrete toxins and they have a reputation for having a very strong grip. That's according to both Zaid and Thane. So that's two squad mates that tell us not to mess with, uh, Hanar's grip.
3: Yeah. Um, I'm looking for a man of war image right now to put up on the screen. I've got the Hanar up just for a reminder. I love, you know, the other thing that I always thought about with Hanar was that the shape roughly looks like a, um, dinosaur with six legs on underneath it
0: oh yeah it does it looks like a like a bronchiosaurus yeah
3: yeah kind of like with the tail and then the head that comes up in the front and then six legs with like two little humps on its back and that that's kind of always what i thought too when i when i saw these but cue the terrible harmonica jurassic park theme Uh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's my uh, harmonica
3: impersonation (laughs)
0: they're magnificent um they are bio bi- biologically genderless this is kind of uh an inference that we have to make because there's no allusion to hanar's gender in the series they are all voiced by the same person and five points to anyone in chat who can guess this before i'm going to say it they are all voiced by mark Meir, oh. the voice of commander shepherd male commander shepherd hmm. uh, so that is uh, a pretty interesting thing and i think that probably comes from a budget thing because you only have yeah. to pay one person then
3: yeah um, yeah that's when th- those are conversations you have with voice actors when you get them on you're like hey uh, you're going to do this character but we know you have some diversity in what you're able to do could you voice this character and they yeah i can do something for that okay good we'll just we'll knock that out with some of your extra hours that are left over at the end
0: What's funny to me is that the clip that we played at the beginning, the you big stupid jellyfish that is Mark Muir talking to Mark Muir. (laughs) Right. Uh, Right. So, and there's a lot of different instances of that because he also voices all of the Vortia, which he said was pretty damaging to his voice because he had to do it with like a, like a mouth half full of water. Um, But I digress. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Let's get back to the Hanar. Uh, Interestingly, it seems like they can breathe, uh, but there's no it's not explicitly explained, like I said. Um, my guess is they use technology to accommodate them. If the writers wanted to, you know, explain that through writing magic, that's the way that they're gonna do it. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. there's also another unexplained byproduct of having evolved from the home from their homeworld, Kaj. Uh the, that planet is completely covered in clouds. And it's because it's powerful white star is beaming at Kage, and Kage is, they evolved on Kaj, whose surface is 90% water. So the whole planet is covered in, in clouds, which would mean that not very much UV radiation gets through. Right. Mm-hmm, right. Because it's always cloudy. It's over. It's always overcast. So then wouldn't that mean that like how would how would hanar fare on different planets where there's more intense uv radiation even earth
3: oh right yeah yeah no that sounds it sounds like they would uh burn <laughs> like
0: right or yeah, they'd fry to or burst. get
3: cancer more easily um there's a few they'd different things that could happen you yeah.
0: become calamari
3: calamari i bet they i bet they're delicious i wonder if anybody According- eats hanar
0: According to Javik, they were, Uh, according to Javik, they were appetizers and they were served either boiled or fried. Um, which is pretty funny because Javik is a Prothean, but we will get there. Uh, first I want to switch gears and talk about the Drell's biology because we already talked about the Hanars just then. So Mm -hmm. the Drell are a reptile like race and that kind of is reflected in their face it almost looks like they have gills on the side
3: interestingly enough yeah i uh, always a, thought they were more fish like um, it is I mean, interesting they are kind of they're kind of this like i don't know amalgamation of the two but yeah once once you actually notice the gills and uh, the scaly quality of like the top of their head it was uh, like that always struck me as more fish than uh like lizard you know
0: it is it is pretty interesting because they are. Explicitly a, uh, a, uh, I guess you could say just reptile race. They're not amphibians because mm-hmm. they evolved from a planet that was completely devoid of, you know, human climates like that, Rakana. Um, we will talk about Rakana in a little bit, but first I want to talk about their appearance so that people who are new to this uh, series can understand clearly like reptiles. They have two sets of eyelids and in the games, they have five digits on their hands with their middle digits fused. Which would also seem that that would like evolutionarily speaking, that would also indicate that maybe that was for swimming. Um, but that's not the case. And also in the comics, those fingers are not fused. So there's some inconsistencies in the lore there. Hmm. Um according to Morden, the drill the mild venom present in drell skin is enough to cause hallucinations upon oral contact. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh oh. Uh Give you five guesses why Morden brought that up.
3: Uh, because he ate one.
0: That would be the preferable, uh, <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> inference from that. From that, uh, but that's not oh, the case. No. In fact, the entire race of Drell this is a pretty fun trivia bit here. The entire race of Drell was apparently created after Thane was created. So Thus, they made everyone look like Thane, and Thane was created to be that romance option as an alien for female Shepard.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she, um, so, in my Mass Effect Two playthrough, he was the he was the one I romanced, and I've mentioned this before. He was also the only one who died in the final mission, and it was very tragic. It was so sad.
0: He's, you know, I can see how he was written to be that romance option. You know, he because he is he's that dark mysterious assassin with the heart of gold oh yeah um yeah so uh but yeah if you're gonna romance thane then something that your female shepherd should know is that uh there are <laughs> it's his skin can cause you to hallucinate upon
3: oral contact that's that more my, that's Morton's advice mm, it's good hallucinate or bad hallucinate
0: <laughs> i don't know <laughs> it's like you know licking a toad you're gonna have a bad or a good trip who knows oh, i don't know
3: it is like licking a toad Oh, no. Okay. We need the hypnotode sound effect. Yeah, that's what popped in my head was hypnotoad. Um <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I can find it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go
0: ahead. <laughs> Un- sure, yeah. And we were talking about amphibians. So unlike amphibians, the excess humidity uh, in some environments leads to an early death for many Drell in the form of what's called kepril's syndrome. And this affects the lungs where the Drell cannot breathe their their lungs do not process oxygen as as efficiently anymore Mm -hmm. and but it's not contagious and according to one of bioware's writers who worked on the drill patrick weeks this disease is largely based on cystic fibrosis
3: interesting yeah Uh, as we talked about with many things on this show so far so many of the things in this game are based off of real world corollaries so that would make sense
0: it would Um, and so it's interesting to see kind of a almost a reverse cystic fibrosis in one of the alien species. And as we'll talk about a little bit later, the Drell acquire a uh, syndrome from humid climates, likely because they evolved from arid deserts on Rakana, and Rakana is a planet now completely uninhabitable from climate change. It became even more arid. The, the oceans were acidified and uh, we'll get into that in a little bit, but first, like we've said in, in previous episodes, what are the distinguishing characteristics of the races in question? Well, number one, with the Drell, as, as we've kind of already hinted, uh, and as some have already mentioned in chat, the Drell have perfect recall. Thane remembers every assassination. He remembers every moment with his son in haunting detail. And this isn't, you know, Thane is not unique here this is you this is a, a trait that is common to all drill where they can recall everything as if they are reliving it in the present moment
3: yeah yeah so you know that time at night when it's like two in the morning you can't fall asleep and your brain decides to remember that really embarrassing thing you did when you were a teenager it's it's like that on steroids because you remember every detail of everything <laughs> Ugh.
0: That's a curse. I'd rather not have that. Yeah. You know,
3: oof, and the way you felt during it, like, just like all of those feelings from like, you know, emotional teenage version of yourself, just like rushing back into your brain. Ooh, no, no, thank you.
0: Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if you've watched uh, the Netflix series, black mirror, but there's an episode where there's a technological implant that the people have and they can relive any memory that they have you know at any point it's like they have dvr for life Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and uh yeah that's i think that would be a curse for humanity at least because there's so many painful memories that we like to forget
3: yeah psychologically this is one of those things that's really interesting um human recall is actually one of the least accurate things you can do, which is weird because in a legal system, it's one of the most highest forms of evidence. And it really shouldn't be because every time we remember a situation, we actually rewrite the memory in our head. So that memory you have of like when you were a kid and you got caught stealing the cookies or whatever, that's not actually how it happened. You've recalled that memory so, so many times. And every time your brain has changed it a little bit and it is no longer the same. And that is hard for us to stomach because it makes it feel like we don't actually have a grasp on reality, but guess what? We don't <laughs> like that's the truth. Um, so being able to remember those things accurately would help with say a judicial system. But uh, I, I don't know. I don't know that I want a direct memory, like a link to everything in the past. Then again, the the upside is like all those positive things, like, you know, like you get older and a loved one passes away and at least you have all those memories you can recall of the good times that you spent together. And they, they do live forever in your mind. So it is kind of a double-edged sword.
0: And for the drill, one would guess that there is an evolutionary advantage to this, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Otherwise, why would they have it? I wish I could posit some suggestions as to why they have evolved this way but unfortunately there's just not enough in the lore to positively identify why they have mm-hmm. this kind of memory
3: well typically um mental adaptions like emotions are it's theorized that they were evolutionarily advantageous in order to mold our behavior so if you do something that's dangerous and you feel scared then you're less likely to do it again in the future because you were scared. If you do something that is positive and you get a positive feeling from it, then you're more likely to do that thing. Um, And that's the foundation for emotional reaction. That's why other mammals look like they have emotions because they do. Like When your dog is actually happy or sad, like it is. It's it's very similar to a feeling that we would feel just in a dog version, right? Um, Something like memory, I would assume, works in a very similar kind of way in that it helps uh, model our behavior moving forward in ways that are evolutionarily advantageous. And so we have that ability. Now, why it would be even stronger than our ability to remember things and more accurate. I don't know. Maybe they just have a longer development cycle where that was something that became very crucial. Maybe they lived in a very dangerous environment where they had to memorize their ways through the environment in like, very specific detail to make sure that they survived. And so that became something that got passed on. It could, it could be any of those kinds of things.
0: I think it could. And I wonder how it plays uh, into their new home world, which we'll get into in a little bit. It's interesting with his memory. Thane almost appears apologetic to Shepard because he's, he he understands very well that Shepard does not have the same kind of memory. Um, so that is definitely one of the distinguishing characteristics of the drill. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the hanar there's no uh there's no question about it their distinguishing characteristic is they are excessively polite when they're speaking uh (laughs) specifically to other races uh and everything must be proper they literally never lose their cool even when they want to kill another being they speak about it very cool and very (laughs) collected that's
3: awesome i love that
0: they they traditionally communicated with other Hanar via patterns of bioluminescence. Um, my first thought when I read that was that, you know, of course they did, because that's easy to animate. Right, right. <laughs> There's no facial animation needed there. Yeah,
3: yeah. I I love the discussions of like, you know what, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to have to murder you now. You know, like, yeah, just I'm- like...
0: <laughs> this one apologizes for your imminent death
3: yeah right like like it's just matter of facts and polite yeah you know like no hard feelings but you no longer deserve to survive (laughs) like
0: okay thanks this one regrets your course of action has led you to this end
3: (laughs) right like just like all right (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) yeah it's yeah and uh so they they communicate via patterns of those bioluminescence and obviously other species can't really read that so they need help from technology to translate that my guess is something embedded in the omni tool um and the Hanar speaking of speech they have two names so they have a public one a face name and they have a private one which is what they call a soul name mm. and the only their family members and very closest confidants ever learn the soul name that's something that they don't tell anyone, even people they're working on missions with. And they never refer to themselves in the first person because they're afraid of appearing arrogant, which is why I was saying this one, this
3: or one, it right, right. It's Kind of like a kajit.
0: And that's Elder exactly trolls. what I was thinking. Yeah. Of. yeah.
3: Yep. This one, this one thinks the skuma is strong here. Would you like to share some, you know, like I <laughs> would.
0: I would love to to see like a crossover uh between Khajiit and Hanar, like a Kajit Hanar uh play of of uh like I don't know, like some some think of some uh Shakespeare play like Hamlet, maybe. Uh,
3: right, right,
0: yeah. right. Or Romeo and Juliet uh, with yeah, Khajiit yeah. and Hanar. How this that'd one loves
3: you. Let this one count the ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good.
0: Um and you know the It's funny because if we were talking about Romeo and Juliet, that would be even worse for the Hanar because they refuse to tolerate any impolite or rude speech. And because of this, members of other races sometimes view them as elitist, Mm. uh, which they can, they can come across as such because they're they're so polite in how they speak that it can come across as condescending, if not passive aggressive. Sure.
3: Yeah. I could totally see that.
0: Interestingly enough, Hanar myths suggest that the Protheans, who they call the being kindlers, uplifted their race with the ability to communicate. And I would say speak, but they don't speak per se to mm-hmm. other Hanar. Right. So, yeah, that's really interesting that their myths say they learned to communicate because the Protheans intervened.
3: Right. And it probably sounds a lot like this. That's that's the, the hypnotoad sound. Oh, that's the hypnotode sound. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I found it. Um, so okay, so the Protheans directly intervened in their evolution, but they didn't communicate before that. It seems like they got involved very early.
0: They did, and in fact, Kage, their homeworld, is covered in Prothean ruins and that's likely the that's that has likely formed the basis for the entirety of hanar religion the entire or the hanar have a holiday specifically dedicated to celebrating the gift of speech you know right that's that's something to behold because if they have an entire holiday with its own competitions and poetry readings associated with it that means that they really, really, really value the uh, the gift of speech. It is, they, they have put it on a pedestal, so to speak. Um, yeah. No well, pun intended.
3: I mean, it's evolutionarily, it's one of the reasons, uh, it's one of the justifications for why intelligent species are more intelligent. Like it's, it's not only a sign of intelligence, it's a thing that allows us to be even more intelligent because we can share information and pass it on to others and then keep it um if it wasn't for speech we would i mean you can't be specific <laughs> without we speech. would not
0: be able to pass on knowledge you know right. to other generations
3: right you can't you, you never get writing without speech you never get um uh, social developments without speech beyond certain you know basic systems like you would find in say yeah. chimpanzees or something like that um,
0: and we would never have perfected farming techniques which was like the very basis of civilization. So, you know, we could go on and I could go on about Hanar religion, um, but it's, it's definitely its own topic. And I think we have more time for that after the break.
3: All right, let's do it.
2: Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign. And this station is mine. I like the sound of that.
3: All right. So we've got a few things to do in the mid break. Uh, First of all, Thank you to our patrons. You guys are awesome. Thank you for helping to support the show. Uh, Sam and I very, very much appreciate this. I mean, you guys are what enable us to keep doing this. I've mentioned this before. Doing podcasts is my full-time job, so this show and the other shows that I do and running the Robots Radio Network is what I do for a living. And support from you, the listener, Enables me to keep doing this and it also helps Sam do it as well. And you guys are just absolutely phenomenal So thank you to everyone who has supported the show. I'm pulling up the list right now and Holy moly, we've got 30 patrons as of right now. I believe I stated that as like a goal in one of the last few episodes um, but thank you to everybody. That's amazing. Um, 30 people. And especially thank you to uh, Sovereign, our tier five patron. Uh, anybody tier five or higher gets called out every month. So thank you very, very much, Sovereign. And thank you to uh, all of our tier four patrons. So we've got a whole bunch of you guys coming to join us next week. Right at this at this showtime. We are currently live on twitch.tv slash Robots Radio at 1030, we start, and we will have, I'm going to count, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine of you joining us. This is going to be a big full house, and it's going to be amazing we're very much looking forward to that so if you want to help support the show if you want to join us next week you've got time still in order to upgrade your status on patreon or sign up all you have to do is go to patreon.com cyberpunk not cyberpunk that was the show i just did mass effect Lorecast. i do two shows in one night and then everything gets all mixed up um but you can go there and sign up you get ad free episodes you get you get the banter of us and, you know, before or after the show, the, all the extended stuff from the episodes that have shown up on the Patreon. All of that stuff is available. So go check that out. And thank you again to all of our patrons. You guys are absolutely amazing. Also, we we had a giveaway this last uh this last little while right like uh it's been about a month and a half now that we've been doing it and we decided to pull some winners or a winner we only have one winner but we have a uh, kind of um what's the what's the phrase for it a uh what did what did you you stated in here like it's not a runner-up it's kind of like a um, honorable honorable mention mention. that's the word i was looking for so here check this out i'm going to show the clips on the video while we talk about that there is sam commander sam Shepard, right there look at look at his face and then look at sam's face identical i mean this is uh, absolutely there's no difference here right no difference at all
0: i'll try to do the same uh same face make the same
3: face ready go very good all right we've got that and then we've got me and there i am and here i am in real life here let me take the hat off so How's that look? I don't mind doing it. I gotta take my glasses off too.
0: Oh yeah. There you go. Yeah, you yeah. look nonchalant, oh. like you're trying to play it cool.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's it. that's it. Um so yeah, absolutely spot on. Uh super spooky. I don't know how you made us look exactly like how we normally do. Um very, very good. And our winner winners Coats so decodes thank you
0: decodes also known as autobreciation if Ah. you're listening to this you have won the giveaway
3: so congratulations yeah reach out to us send us a message on the on the discord or on twitter just however you want to private message us um we'll reach out to you too and all we really need is an email address and which type of $50 $50 gift card you would like. Do you want one for Steam? Do you want one for PlayStation? Do you want one for Xbox? And we will send that out to you. So thank you so much for everyone who entered. And our runner-up, I didn't pull the images for this one, but the runner-up is Sovereign, our tier 5 patron. Sovereign, thank you so much. Thanks for throwing some uh some entries in there. Unfortunately, they they weren't quite as perfect as Decoats, but you know, you did a good job. So Thanks for and everyone else who, who took time to make uh, versions of us. Thank you so much. All right, so we also have a uh, planet to discuss in the middle of the episode. This middle of the episode is absolutely jam packed, Sam. All sorts of stuff. Oh, yeah. Which one are we, we talking got about? Lots of goodies. I'm pulling so it up right now. Boop.
0: Let's talk about a planet that is perfectly relevant to both the Hanar and the Drill. And this planet, I'll give you five guesses who named it. It is called Rough Tide. <laughs> One would guess it's roll probably tide? named by the Hanar. Uh, rough Tide. Rough Tide. Not Roll Tide. God, no. Roll Tide the Can't stand the Crimson
3: Tide. Oh, uh, no. You're going to get hate mail for that.
0: Oh, I am. Except from the Auburn fans. They're going to be like, hell yeah, brother. Or yeah, whatever they well, say. I don't know.
3: You'll get some mail from both <laughs> places. Yeah.
0: That's, uh, that's what
3: they say. Hell yeah, brother.
0: <laughs> so I picked to this planet because it is perfectly relevant to both. And let's just read the description here. It is a brief one. It says, "A dwarf planet with a shroud of carbon monoxide and dioxide that keeps it warm. Rough Tide was so named when large veins of platinum and palladium were struck and miners from all over the cluster came in to stake their claims. Hanar police and their drill enforcers clashed with Krogan and Vorcha in an ugly series of race riots." In the late 2170s, and the planet has only grudgingly kept a shaky peace since then.
3: That sounds no good. I'm imagining
0: some crazy fights because if you look at the planet card, uh, it says that the surface gravity is only a tenth of Earth's, of Earth's gravity. So one tenth of Earth gravity, and apparently there was some serious fighting going on. I on have
3: planet. like I, I have pictures of miners doing like moon like like uh, uh like rocket jumps you know like <laughs> with mining picks like hitting each other trying to get at the, the minerals
0: yeah that's i'm i'm imagining the episode of futurama where they they're miners on the moon you know mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm.
0: they're they're wailing with harpoons
3: <laughs> yep yep
0: but yeah that's the planet
3: All right. Well, cool, man. All right. Well, that's the middle of the show. Why don't we get back to our main topic? Here we go.
1: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from.
3: Are you an avid player of the Elder Scrolls Online and looking to take your game to that next level? Well, the Red Diamond Courier Podcast is here to help. I'm Bob Chichinski and I'm Dogbark24. We are two experienced players aiming to help others learn and improve through in-game knowledge and references. From PvE to PvP and everything in between. There's sure to be something for you in the Red Diamond Courier. We,
1: we hope, hope you check, check us out. out. Thanks! Spit it out, or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought.
3: Alright, so, back to the Hanar, and the drill. um... So do the Hanar worship the Pro- Protheans because the Protheans gave them speech? I mean that's that's almost like like Hephaestus giving men the ability to you know have an alphabet like or whatever it was that he in the Greek lore, right? Uh, and and then how did the Drell become all mixed up with the Hanar because there's some connections there, right? How does that all work? Yeah,
0: there are. Their fates are completely intertwined. And I want to address the first question first. So the Hanar definitely do worship the Protheans, but they call them the Enkindlers. So like I mentioned before the break, Prothean ruins were scattered all over the homeworld of the, of the Hanar, the Kaj and religious communities popped up around these. So religious communities revere the Protheans as gods. And this is really the one topic, it seems, that's capable of making Hanar break social conventions and quote unquote disturbing the peace. (laughs) Exact tenets of mainstream and kindler religion are kind of unknown, but the Hanar do credit them with the creation of the mass relays, the Citadel, and virtually all of modern galactic society, or at least the building blocks of it. And of course, this spoilers, uh, of course, this isn't true. And when confronted with the truth that the Protheans did not create the mass relays, create the Citadel, that it was actually the Reapers, they react like you would expect total denial. Um, Hmm. There's a conversation where you can bring Javik to the Citadel in Mass Effect 3. And Javik is, of course, the Prothean squadmate. And I encourage anyone that hasn't done that to do so, because Javik will interact with a Hanar at the Citadel embassies, and there's like so many great lore bits there because this is a Hanar meeting an Enkindler, mm-hmm. and so there's this Hanar is seeing their god in the flesh, yeah, and there's some extreme cults of Enkindler religion where they where they think that the Enkindlers are are there's going to be a second coming of the Enkindlers, and they're mm-hmm. going to wipe. Uh, all of these sinners off the face of the earth. You know, um, there's one cult that preaches total fire and brimstone that way, considering all organic life to be flawed and sinners, and you know the Enkindlers will return and yada yada yada. It sounds a lot like. Uh, some sects of Christianity expecting the the rapture and the second coming. Um, right. And we should, I guess, take this one specific detail, uh, maybe with a grain of salt, maybe not, but it's according to mass effect Andromeda annihilation, um, which the author coordinated greatly with Bioware to make. And, you know, it, that makes it basically, I, I guess, virtually canon. Uh, the Hanar do have these extreme cults and Like I mentioned, religion is one of those topics that can push a Hanar to the edge of protesting, which for Hanar is a big move. So more than just the preacher in Mass Effect 1, I think we all are acquainted with that preacher. More than just that preacher, some Prothean dig sites are picketed by Hanar who want their holy sites to remain sacred and untouched.
3: Wait, wait, do they do they wind one of their little tentacles around like a, a picket sign?
0: I'm imagining that they do that or they use like mass effect fields to levitate the
3: signs <laughs> or they or they create like a like a some sort of bioluminescence in shapes of words like floating in the air or something. I don't know. Hell no. These ones won't go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's. They, they do, though, that, that's canon. You know, they have protested these Prothean dig sites and they want them to remain untouched. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the Protheans considered the Hanar to be appetizers. So they considered <laughs> them to be, you know, best served, boiled or fried. And so that's why I said it was it was funny because Javik actually tells us that. And then Javik can potentially meet a Hanar mm-hmm. in real life, like, well, in the game in real life, right in real time and they're like oh you know our god and he's like you know cool a blooming
3: onion (laughs) right (laughs) why would you teach the food to talk that's the confusing thing yeah
0: and i think it goes back. To the differential that we, we made sure to uh, enunciate in the Protheans episode, where Prothean was both the name of their race and it was also the name of their empire. Right. And of course, there were several different races engulfed into the empire. Right. So I'm thinking, what if the race who put all of the Prothean ruins on Kashe is not the same race that Javik is, but mm-hmm. they are part of the same empire? Right. And,
3: and And we've talked about this too before, like just because human is a race doesn't mean that some humans believe something and some other humans believe something else. You know, like if we were, if we had the ability to evolve something that we eat into a, an intelligent species, because we just wanted to, there, there might be some humans who do that. And then other humans who have a hard time moving on and thinking of them not as food, especially if you're divided by the distance of space from like one planet to another, Right. Like it doesn't just because somebody's a Prothean, even if they are the race Prothean, doesn't mean that they have the same mentality towards this stuff as every other Prothean. Like people are individuals, groups are different groups of different agendas. Yeah. yeah. Within that.
0: So Yeah, they're they're not monolithic. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um although they were unified in their goal during the Reaper War and their cycle, yeah, they're certainly not monolithic. Um, And, you know, it's funny uh, on the topic of religion, because although the traditional Drell religion is polytheistic, almost all of them are deeply spiritual. And so they believe in some kind of soul and body harmonic connection, where if you do some things that please your body, but displease your soul, then you will become disconnected. And it's also, it works vice versa. If you do some things that please your soul, but displease your body, like you are slovenly, then you will become disconnected. And there's a lot of, you know, real world religions that mimic this kind of ideology. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Mm -hmm. That's kind of what the Drell believe in, largely,
3: largely. Okay. So how did these two get intertwined? How did the dwell, the dwell, the Drell and the Hanar uh, get connected.
0: So here's where it gets interesting because some Drell actually believe in the Hanar and Kindler religion. And as you said, how did they come to learn about it? Well, the answer to that question lies in a social agreement called the Compact. And the Compact is critical to understanding Drell's history. The Drell were a very advanced civilization, and like I said, had their own uh, had their own homeworld named Rakana. Mm-hmm. But the problem was that they expanded too quickly for Rakana to handle. Starting around the 14th century of our current era, the Drell's rapid industrial age began ruining the planet's climate, acidifying its oceans, ruining any possible farmland. And making all the necessary resources way too scarce for a burgeoning population. And unfortunately, the industri- they reached their industrial age and their industrial age exploded way too quickly mm-hmm. to allow the drill any time to reach spaceflight. Meaning that all 11 billion of them were trapped on a dying world.
3: Right. I mean, what's scary about this is that this is something that could have happened on Earth and we may be at the ending stages of. If we don't take, you know, seriously, the, the changes that we're making to our planet. Um, and for those of you listening, this is not a political thing. This is a science thing. These are facts. Um, <laughs> just, so just put it, putting that out there. This is not an agenda thing. We're talking about scientific and historical facts that are verified. Um, but imagine, imagine if the space race didn't happen and it was even delayed by 50 years. Or imagine that some of the social agendas of the world didn't happen. So we ended up with a more polluting, more uh, savage industrialization period like we had at the end of the 1800s, early 1900s, where you ended up with cities like London that were just covered in smog. And if it if social programs didn't stick when they did, then we would have had that exploitation longer, and no need to advance beyond that. And had that happened, we may have been on a much more steep ramp towards global warming and the destruction of our environment. Um, so this very um, this mirrors some of what we're doing, as if it was taking more extremely, which is which is interesting because that's that's really scary. So wouldn't this also be called the Great Filter?
0: I believe so. I think that there's an ample amount of i think there's an ample amount of speculation and also you know some substantial theories out there and um forgive me if if has the audio changed? Uh, has the audio no. changed at all for me okay good because i, I just had some technical difficulties
3: oh no you're uh, good you're good
0: <laughs> yeah um but yeah this i believe i i've seen a lot of forums where people are saying oh the drill and the great filter the great filter and how it has become somewhat of an overplayed um sci-fi trope Mm -hmm. but this isn't where the drills story ends this continues for several hundred years and it's also the situation that the hanar walk or or float (laughs) into when they make first contact with the drill in the 1980s in our 1980s for the current era and for context The Hanar had achieved space flight about two millennia beforehand. We know this because they made contact with the Citadel around the year 300 BCE. Okay. Um, So they make contact in the 1980s. They notice that the Drell are in a dying world and they don't, they have not achieved space flight. And instead of the human, like humanity's sci fi trope war of the worlds, you know, scary advanced aliens come in and blow us all up, the Hanar take it the opposite way. The Hanar spend the next 10 years launching a massive race against the clock rescue effort to taxi the Drell off of Rakana and to Kage before their projected like doomsday, which was 2025. So in about three and a half years from now. Wow.
3: That's that's really cool. I mean, can you I can't imagine humanity being okay, even if we are in the dregs of like an overheating world and a lack of food and those kinds of things. How many people wouldn't trust an alien race, especially one that doesn't look humanoid to come and save us from something like that?
0: Well, as I understand it, it wasn't like they had a choice. The consequences were dire. And and I bet bet some
3: people constant wars. Yeah. I bet some people decided to stay, like just would not accept it and planted their flag in the ground and said, well, this is my home and I'm going to starve here. And if that's what happens, that's what happens.
0: And that is that is what happens. Um, You know, perhaps uh, I'd like to kind of examine just why the Hanar did this. And I would think that it's because of the knowledge of their Prothean intervention in their cultural uplifting mm-hmm. learning speech that they felt it was their collective obligation to step in, intervene and rescue the drill,
3: a pay it forward kind of thing.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Or perhaps it just gave them the justification to say, you know, intervention isn't bad. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Um, because I'm sure that there were some Hanar that said, you know, should we be meddling like this? Um, but all they needed to do was point to their own history and say, okay, you know, another race intervened on behest of us and it worked out pretty well. (laughs) In fact, we have a whole holiday about it. Um, so in total over the 10 years, about 375,000 drill were saved.
3: That's a very small percentage.
0: It is. And I would imagine. billion. I would imagine part of this is because, like you said, some people did not want to leave. Some Drell did not want to leave. Yeah. I imagine the other reason is because the Hanar never had a large Navy. The Hanar didn't have a Turian-sized Navy that they could, you know, flock, you know, huge groups of people off of planet with. And the other thing is that the rest perished. The rest of the drell died. Mm-hmm. In Mass Effect 3, at the time of Mass Effect 3, there are still some pockets of drell numbering in the hundreds, like very small pockets of drell, who are still somehow surviving on Rakana. But all the rest of them are either in, you know, uh interstellar space or they are on Kashi. And so to repay the debt of their rescue. The Drell enter a social contract called the compact where they agree to do the tasks that the Hanar find too difficult. I put too difficult in quotes for a purpose. Effectively, Mm. this meant that the Hanar now had a servant class and for whatever reason, most Drell resent that characterization. I know that some Drell servants become quote unquote like family to their hanar masters even learning their soul names which is a big deal but come on you know <laughs> maybe facing the reality that kaje isn't their world is painful they supposedly have a choice to refuse being called to service being called to become a servant of any hanar but it's not exactly like social influences aren't at play here as thane puts it being requested to serve as an honor That would indicate to me that if someone refuses to serve, they are viewed as ingrate, ungrateful, you know, Um, and perhaps become an outcast.
3: Right. Which seems indoctrinated. It seems like one of those things that you are taught to. This is the social status. This is this is what is regular because we define it to be so because we are the Hanar and and they are so polite. Right. So this is an honor for you. Like, that's the way they would probably present it. Right. Like. Yeah, that's you know, I also did the math on this. Um, So the uh, how many survived the three hundred and seventy five thousand is roughly point zero 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 two percent of the population of 11 billion. And this is this is one of those things that we as humans have a hard time, you know, conceiving of billion. That's 11 with nine zeros. Right? Like that's a big number. Three hundred and seventy five thousand has three zeros. Those are very different numbers. This isn't eleven million to three hundred. No, this is eleven billion. So that's roughly
0: one metro area. Three hundred and seventy-five thousand oh, yeah. is a small metro area. Oh yeah. Like um, in our
3: in our current on our think about our current planet. We have seven and a half billion people. That would be the equivalent of a a city of about I don't know 250,000 people surviving two hundred and something thousand people like percentage wise So that yeah. would be like I mean heck I live in Florida Like I I have to drive an hour in order to get to a city that's <laughs> Like
0: I think it would be like Columbus, Ohio Surviving. Yeah, yeah. that's it.
3: That's it. That's every, everybody on the planet. All humanity. You just pick one average city in America That's who survives
0: you mean it's all ohio it's always, always been. has been <laughs> it always has been yeah
3: that's it that's it
0: um yeah that that's what it would be like that's so that's think about how devastating that is to the drill who do survive and then you kind of get the right perspective i think because fane puts it pretty nicely to us perhaps out of a desire again not to peer, appear ungrateful but other drill aren't so forgiving about Their status as a client race. According to Mass Effect Andromeda Annihilation, again, the domed city on Kaj, where almost all drell live, and as we were saying, it's one metro area. All the drell have to live in one domed city on Kaj because if they don't, it's immediate death from Keprel syndrome. All of Kaj is covered in, in in water, and that water is being vaporized into clouds. So if they don't live in this domed city, they almost die immediately from Kepler syndrome mm-hmm. and the domed city is basically a massive slum. So it's either live in the massive slum that is riddle, riddled with crime and poverty, accept the call to service, die from capital syndrome immediately or get off the planet, get the hell out of there and make a living somewhere else somehow. Right. Those are the right. options in a
3: universe that's not designed for your species.
0: Yeah. And those are the yeah. options. That's it.
3: Yeah, that's rough.
0: Um, And, you know, with 375,000 people, it I think the Drell would be lucky to have a Citadel embassy. You know, it's oh, not yeah. like they're going to have their own political
3: clout. No, I mean, they don't even have their own planet, let alone, you know, planets or, you know, multi planet spanning race of intelligent people people like it's yeah it's a very very small population compared to all of these other races that are movers and shakers in the universe
0: right right and you know Thane tells us a lot of what we do know from the lore uh when it comes to drill so we have to rely on Thane's perspective narrative yeah. alone yeah you know um so he he might be his lenses through which he views life from his experiences might be colored a certain way oh sure and so Thane Thane tells us that the hanar rely on the drill to carry out assassinations that much is you know verifiable that's just a fact that's not opinionated Mm -hmm. they rely on the drill to among other things carry out these assassinations which in my opinion not very polite um (laughs) (laughs) but because the hanar aren't terribly adept at combat outside of water oh sure and i am I imagine that killing someone is work that's considered too dirty for a race
3: bent on etiquette probably probably but yeah i can't imagine them floating around with like a dagger and their their tendrils like sneaking up on people like that yeah somebody somebody who's designed more like a you know a bipedal hominid is probably much more capable of that kind of thing
0: Right. Which the drill are, I mean, their bodies look almost identical to human and Asari bodies, uh, with the exception of their fingers being webbed. Um, and, uh, so yeah, then that brings us to kind of the military. So one would think if the Hanar have a very small Navy, but now they have this client race and their client race is pretty strong, pretty fast, pretty adept. Um, that spells conscription for me, right? So, mm-hmm. and that, that is kind of how it goes. Their ground forces, the Hanar's ground forces are primarily composed of Drell spies, assassins, clandestine operatives, saboteurs, that kind of thing.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, Guerrilla warfare. Right, yeah.
0: right. Not direct warfare because it's not like, the Drell are not Krogan. They're not shock troops. But they that's what, that's what they have. That's what the Hanar have, basically. They have a uh, very limited source of troops, but to use at their disposal effectively because of the compact. Um, Kage is protected by a planet-wide automated defense system, but that system is vulnerable to indoctrinated compromising its integrity. This is why I said at the very beginning that I was glad that we brought up that audio clip because it's very important. Because that audio clip is from a mission called Citadel Hanar Diplomat in Mass Effect Three, and at first glance, Citadel Hanar Diplomat appears to be a rather inconsequential side mission—just another email that you get, just another thing that slides across Shepard's desk, and
3: yeah, yeah, one more thing sure. I have to do before I save the world and the universe. Yeah, and it's everything another else. grocery list item. Yeah.
0: That's what it looks like, but that's not it. And I encourage anyone that has, you know, overlooked it to please go and do it because its lore implications are immense. Spoilers, you've been warned from here on out. I don't want to hear another review where it's like, <laughs>
3: oh, in seven legends spoiled it. Like <laughs> it's a lore come on, cast man. That's what happens. All right, go on. Right. Yeah. So
0: spoilers specific to Mass Effect Three and Citadel Hanar diplomat. The Hanar in this mission, the Hanar helped an alliance, the systems alliance. They helped them raid a Batarian facility where they were studying Reaper technology. John Dumbao, a Solarian inspector, monitored the situation, and he's afraid that some of the Hanar have become indoctrinated, some of the Hanar from the mission. Well, it, t- it turns out that one of them is, and this Hanar uploaded a virus to shut down Kaje's entire defense network. Like, think of the Aegis missile system, but for the whole planet. Yeah. And now it has been shut down. And yeah. so the Reapers are just going to like, you know, cakewalk through. Um, that would spell the end of the Hanar and also the end of all Drell, basically.
3: Yeah, both both races.
0: Here's uh, where this one gets interesting. If you didn't recruit Kasumi, then Shepard has to choose ultimately between res- rescuing Bao, who at the apex of this quest is getting strangled by another indoctrinated human or Shepard can choose to stop the upload. If the if the upload of the virus is stopped, then Kaj is saved, and the Hanar dedicate Drell combat specialists to the war against the Reapers to repay the favor of saving their entire homeworld. If you choose to save Bao, all of the Hanar are killed, their homeworld is decimated, and they can't dedicate anything to the war effort, and basically all Drell are dead
3: that's yeah that's total bummer that's a uh, that's no good
0: yeah that's a massive lore implication right yeah and just from seemingly uh, uh an inconsequential side mission that might take you 10 minutes to complete
3: right no that's a like come yeah no two whole societies just wiped off the map
0: yeah that's it's huge it's it's a uh, it's huge it's huge um,
3: uh, plus i wouldn't mind having a bunch of uh drill assassins on my side that seems pretty cool
0: i wouldn't either I wouldn't either. Um they're pretty badass. Yeah. But yeah. this is also, you know, societally a huge move for the Hanar considering how isolationist they are. The Hanar to this to this point have tried to actively isolate from any communities and and when I say communities I I use that word loosely. They've tried to isolate themselves from the galaxy at large basically. Because how many worlds have they colonized? When you look at the Hanar, I think that there's only three or four different worlds where they actually have Hanar living there. Mm. Part of that is probably because of the unique circumstances they need to survive. You know, um, Part of the other reason is probably because of gravity. They evolved in water. They probably can't handle much gravity without excessive use of technology. The other reasons are because their economy is so small and so dedicated to the Hanar which if you've looked at their physiology because they rely on tentacles and they, you know, live in the water, um, all of the products that are made for Hanar are virtually unusable for everyone else. So it's not like they have a booming export industry.
3: Right. Right. That makes sense. They're kind of isolated when it comes to all of that.
0: One would wonder to how, the Drell have adapted. One of the w- ways that they adapted was by getting these implants in their eyes, which actually allowed them to see the bioluminescence that Hanar, uh, put out. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, byproduct of that, I think Thane tells us is that he sees ultra, some things on the ultraviolet spectrum as a silvery color, but hmm. he cannot tell the difference between dark red and black. Weird. It is. It is so, weird. Um,
3: so okay, so in ultraviolet infra- so it shift it's almost like it shifted his spectrum up. Yeah. Because yep. it removed the low end of the spectrum but increased the high end of the spectrum. It did. So instead of extending the spectrum up, it shifted everything. I wonder if he sees colors color shift. Like if you were playing in Photoshop and you just shift the hue and it like all the colors just move in a direction.
0: Yeah, I wonder if Asari's skin tones look more indigo to yeah. him. Yeah, like all of them look more indigo
3: yeah who knows Mm, um that's really
0: interesting yeah that's kind of like that's that's how isolationists the hanar are so dedicating their drill combat specialists to the war uh, is a big move because they don't really get involved in wars that don't concern like directly them and since it seems that Shepard just saved kajay from the reaper invasion um that that's a big move. Um, that is a but big yeah, move. that's yeah. That's pretty much uh where we're at then with the interaction between the Drell and the Hanar. And so there is a type of power dynamic going on, I think, because it's not like the Drell have anywhere else to go. Um and yet they're living on a planet that is lethal to them.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um it's very interesting dynamic. Um another good episode, Sam. Another yeah. good one. Um <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the follow Bioshockingly, on, on Twitch. Um, by the way, uh, before we wrap up this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what's coming down the line. Um, Thank you to everybody who has shown up to join us live. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Um, we've got currently, at least from what I can see, 17 of you watching on Twitch and three three of you watching on YouTube. I would love to. Uh, I love all the comments. I love reading everybody's thoughts because everybody has dis- different experiences, especially when we're live. And to get your feedback live as we do this is awesome. So I would love to hit like 30 concurrent you know, viewers for the live shows. So that's kind of my goal. So if you have the opportunity to join us on Sunday nights, starting at 10 30 PM Eastern, 7:30 seven 30 Pacific, then uh, please do so. We'd love to have you come join us. Uh, and this is all about building community and nerding out with you guys about the things that we all love. So I'd love to see more of that, but um, yeah, wonderful episode. This is, uh, I didn't realize there was as much uh, detail in some of this. Um, even though I, I paid a lot of attention to um, the drill and specifically, um, uh, what's his face? When I I can't even remember his name, when I romanced him. Shane. Thane. Um, names fall out of my brain. You guys know that. Um, but yeah, this is this is very interesting stuff. So we will be back next week with our patron episode talking about, and this is going to be controversial. We're going to get, I, I am predicting a significant amount of fan mail about this. Where people are going to say, Yeah, that person's absolutely right. That other person's absolutely wrong. They're crazy. Because we are talking about which ending to the trilogy is the best ending. And we've got a bunch of people in on that chat, at least nine patrons potentially. And so we hope to see you guys join us next week for that. I'd love to hear some, see some thoughts in, in chat because I think this is going to be a really entertaining episode to do live with you guys. So that's coming up next week. And then, Sam, do you have an idea? We're kind of working our way through all the different races. Where do you think we're going to go after that?
0: Uh, we are. You know, there's only so many different races in Mass Effect. And yeah. so we can't just keep making race episodes forever. Just make as, them up, uh, as as lazy as that would be for the writing of this show. Um, no, we can't <laughs> do that. Um, but what I'm thinking of is perhaps we do a subseries of episodes on factions. Yeah, and we cover Cerberus. We cover the Systems Alliance. We cover the Blue Suns Eclipse those different merc bands like the blood pack we cover even some of the corporations of the universe like exogeny
3: yeah no that sounds great um yeah I, I love factions uh you know in the fallout lore cast we have entire sections of that show dedicated to the different factions and then we even did the same thing in elder scrolls um yeah so i, I think factions is a wonderful idea Yep.
0: So that one, that one looks like it's kind of set up uh, for after the patron chat. And by the way, if you're listening to this after the fact, um, it is July 18th. And so if you are listening within a week, you still have time to sign up for the Patreon. If you want to be included on that live discussion about which ending is the best. And I will say that I think we have at least one patron who preferred the control or blue ending. Yep. And that is, the hot take. That's not a very popular <laughs> ending to choose. So I think I would like to see a decent representative portion of people defend each of the endings. I want to see a fair bit of people. I don't, you know, I don't want it to be uh, didactic and monolithic, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at all. Mm-hmm. And I would, I, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I would love to see people defend the refuse slash reject ending where you refuse all the options. Uh, because if you've played the game spoiler, if you've played the game, you know how that ends. It doesn't end well. It's basically game over. You have failed.
3: Yeah. So, so uh, combat vet gaming says we need a, uh, Corian's episode. We do. I
0: think we covered a lot of Korean culture during the geth war episode. Mm-hmm. I was considering doing a part two to basically every race and I was kind and and we are going to be doing a number of episodes based off of the individual squad mates. So we are going to be going over each of those squad mates, races, culture as part of a product and how that produced that individual, how that individual came from that society. Um, yeah. For example, how Tally was influenced by Korean culture and so i think those two things are inextricable so i was either considering doing a part two to to some races like the batarian episode but we spent a lot of time talking about how the batarians uh are kind of they get a bad rap um but we we didn't have enough time basically to talk about batarian culture batarian religion government that kind of thing um so uh yeah
3: we'll be coming back to some of that stuff too so yeah uh, Yeah, I am we've got so much to cover still. So we've got, believe me, we're not going to run out of any, any topics anytime soon. So, um, plus there's always, I mean, there's always other angles to look at this stuff too. Like there's the, just here's the information, but then there's questions and theories and all sorts of other things that we can cover over time. So yeah, cool. Well, I'm excited to get into that stuff and I'm, I'm especially excited to talk to you with our patrons next week. So make sure that, uh, if you are a patron and you are a tier four or five patron that you are connected to the discord and that you are in there chatting with us and that you're ready to go for next week. And we'll be starting at 10 30 Eastern seven 30 Pacific. So very, very cool. Thanks everybody for joining us. Sam, do you have anything else going on that you want to share before we head out?
0: Uh, Well, we got the Xbox game pass show tomorrow night and I am going to be streaming some game pass games and or mass effect tomorrow during Mm -hmm. the day Mm -hmm. Uh, i'll put out some feelers on the discord see who wants to join me maybe for a game pass game pass gang day uh and see if anyone wants to co-stream there and of course i'll let everyone know on twitter at n7 legend and by twitch at n7 legend uh when
3: i will be going live Awesome. Awesome. And if you have an Xbox or a PC and you want to join us playing games at any point, whether we're streaming or not streaming, then please check out the Game Pass gang in the Discord. We'd love to have you along. You don't have to have Game Pass to join us. You just have to have some of the games that we're playing. And if you do pick up Game Pass, then all the more opportunity to try some of the new games as they come out and things like that. So go check that out. And if you are interested in finding out what's coming out for Game Pass or are opinions about some of the games as we try them out and then come join us tomorrow night same time same channel just on Mondays instead of Sundays and we love to see you there. All right everybody, that's that's what I've got going on too. Um, the other things that I do of course can all be found at robotsradio.net for all the different lore casts and podcasts that I do and podcasts that are on the network. There's a bunch of stuff to get into if you're into more than Mass Effect and other games, chances are there's probably a lore cast for it at this point. There's a few I don't do yet, but I've got my eyes on some things, so we'll see. Uh, if I can figure out more, if I can squeeze more time into my schedule, maybe we can knock out some others as well. Um, also, if you are interested in starting your own podcast and you want some help doing that and you want to be associated with the Robots Radio Network and get a real jump start, on it with some really great ideas some instru- instruction on how to do it technologically and also you know formatting your show and then also marketing your show to make sure that you have an audience these are all things that i help other people out with and it's part of the robots radio rocket club you can learn more about that at robotsradio.net as well um if you have an awesome idea for a show and you are a creator that wants some help with that i would love to work with you we've got some awesome creators we meet every week and we all help each other out so Come check us out for that. And that's all we got going on for this week. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We will see you again next week or maybe even tomorrow night. All right, guys. See you later. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at Mass Effect Lorecast at gmail.com.
2: Hey, I'm Pylon. And I'm Doc. And if you've ever played an Elder Scrolls game, you've probably used UESP.net to help you find information about a quest, dive deeper into lore, or really learn anything about the Elder Scrolls.
1: But did you know we have a podcast too? Every week we bring you the latest in Elder Scrolls news, dig deeper into topics surrounding the game, and have a ton of fun while doing it.
2: You can find us on your favorite podcatcher by searching the unofficial Elder Scrolls podcast. Can't wait to see you all there. Have you ever wondered how deep the Elder Scrolls lore rabbit hole goes? Have you got a grasp of the basics and want to find out more
3: about the universe? Written in Uncertainty is here to help you. We'll be mixing in philosophy,
2: theology, and whatever other theory is useful with Elder Scrolls texts to untangle some of the biggest questions in the series, like what are dragon breaks, how does Chim work, where did the Dwemer go, and more. Check us out at writteninuncertainty.com or find Written in Uncertainty on any podcatcher. Thanks for listening, and catch you later in the Grey Maybe of Tamriel.